A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Gabby. Hey, I'm Rob. And this is Dark Origins Podcast, a podcast where I tell Rob about the inspirations between every medium of art, whether it's movies, TV shows, music, and sometimes we'll talk about the opposite. We'll talk about times where life has imitated art. Mm. So I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Do you know who wrote the first modern detective novel? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. No, but Damn. close. So it was actually Edgar Allan Poe. And oh, okay, that adds up. Yep. Yes. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was kind of inspired by Poe's work to write, you know, about really? Sherlock Holmes. Yes. So. I didn't know that he that. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. So the first modern detective novel was titled The Murders in the Rue Morgue. And sure. Of course. We'll talk do you actually no, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I read it. Like I read a lot of um Poe back in like high school, you know, okay. like emo Rob. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um Nevermore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh so yeah, so the detective's name is C. Auguste Dupont. Auguste Dupont. Yes. Um so like August Dupin? Yes. Okay, right, right. Like August Dupin is probably how I'm going to continue to how say like it. I would say it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so his work, Poe's work, which we will talk more about at the end of the podcast, because um, right, right. it is pretty interesting. It spawned an entire genre of literature that still stands strong today, obviously. For Detective sure. Detective novels are very popular. Uh, Poe wrote a sequel to, the, to um, the Murders in the Rue Morgue. And it's called The Mystery of Marie Roguette, I think is how it's pronounced. Hmm. All right. So that book, The Mystery of Marie Roguette, is about a real life murder. Really? So yes. the sequel, the detective from the first book, is investigating, it's a fictional depiction of what happened in reality. Yes. 
Exactly. Sweet. Exactly. He was so creative. Anyway, go ahead. He was incredibly creative. So he took inspiration from the true story of Mary Rogers. You can obviously see similarities in the name. Mary Not Rogers. Rogers. Marie Rogat. No. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> otherwise known as Cigar Girl. That's what okay. people have okay. called her. Um, she was found floating in the Hudson River. Her clothes were tattered and she had been severely beaten. Um, the Hudson River in America? Yes, in New York. And Edgar Allan Poe wrote about it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Why is that so interesting? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. You might need to cut out what I just He might he might be British, but um let's see. Yep, he's American. Okay, scratch the last eight seconds, please. Okay. She was found floating in the Hudson River. Her clothes were tattered and she had been severely beaten. I guess you could say he took more than just inspiration because his novel was basically, like you said, a fictionalized version of what happened. That's dope. Um, Like a dramatization, kind of like the real story, but told from a fictional detective. Yes. and I'm reading this book. Yeah. um, The only major differences were her name, her nationality, because... Marie Rogat is French and the location. So instead of happening in New York, it happened in Paris, France. Perfect. And it was more than just a novel. Poe almost used it as an exercise in solving the murder. So he really, which again, we'll talk more about this at the end of the podcast. Okay. He really tried to solve the murder through the eyes of Detective Dupont. Like how he would go about it, sort of? Yeah. He tried to put the pieces of the puzzle together, but um, he was ultimately... Was he given access to all of that information, or was he doing it from newspapers? So her murder was highly publicized. Mm-hmm. Most of the details were were told in okay. graphic detail. Gross. Let's get into it. Dive in, babe. I will say also right now that... Her murder remains unsolved to this day. What? Like Poe failed us? Poe was not able to solve it and neither Damn it, was Edgar. neither were investigators. Man, um that's brutal. Yeah. It was highly publicized though, so we do have, you know, a lot of information about what happened. Yeah, and I mean the dude probably just or woman just dipped down. So, um, Mary Rogers was born in New York, New York in eighteen twenty. For the most part, Mary grew up with a single mother since her father died when she was only five years old. In order to provide for her family, Mary's mother ran a boarding house. The most talked about aspect of this case, which this is really weird and kind of gross to me, um, was how beautiful Mary was. She was said to be tall with beautiful features and perfect skin, and she had dark hair that flowed down her back. She was also incredibly charming. She seemed to be incredibly smart, and I don't think she gets enough credit for that. Like, you know, everyone talks about how beautiful she was and how charming she was, but they don't talk about the fact that she intentionally used, you know, her strong points to get her a job and to make money. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So it also seems to me that she was very intentional in the way that she carried herself throughout the world. Um, Again, like that just goes to show how 
smart she was. And I wish people talked about that more. Yeah. But um, anyways, growing up, she worked for her mom. She helped to take care of the boarding house. But around the time she turned 20, she was hired by John Anderson, who owned a cigar shop, which is why she's called the Cigar Girl. Okay. He hired Mary because of her ability to attract men. Yeah. I so, guess, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, When she started working there, he got a lot more customers. Bunch of pervs. I don't, I don't. I, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm just kind of joking. I mean, now you go to the store because there's a hot chick there. Like, that's kind of cringy, too. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm saying. It's Yeah. So many men would come in just to talk to Mary, which inevitably increased revenue for John. And she was paid well enough to leave the comfort of working for her mother's boarding house, which, again, proves how smart Mary was. She knew yeah. how to take advantage of, you know. Her, her skill set. Yeah. She um, leveraged that to... Play the hand she was dealt. Exactly. Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. Um. <laughs> exact. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what just exactly. happened. Exactly. All right. So apparently, her mother was not too keen on the idea because she a had never worked away from home, and b the customers that went into that cigar shop were not. They didn't have the best reputations. Pervs. I nailed it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know why their reputations were terrible, but that's very possible. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, these, it, yeah. Uh, and like I said, the pay was enough, though, to make her mother give in and allow Mary to work there. Yeah. I'm glad this guy was paying her well. Me too. At least that's that's a good point. Yes. Um. So one morning, Mary, a diligent and consistent worker, didn't show up for her shift. Oh, gosh. Nobody knew where she was. Her mom went to authorities to report her missing, which basically meant she went to the newspapers to have them run right, a story. Right, because there's no police force. Yeah. there. I mean, I guess there were like watchmen, but there wasn't, you know, like an organized police force. Right. So many newspapers ran the story asking the public to contact them if they saw Mary. The Sun was one of the main newspapers running the story. Nobody reached out with tips, but it didn't matter. Because six days after going missing, Mary would show back up to work. People in Mary's life noticed that she looked okay physically, but something was off. The sparkle in her eye was gone, and her happy demeanor had turned into a more somber one. Okay, so she's gone for six days. She comes back, and she's not her usual bubbly self. Exactly, yes. Okay, well, I think that would I wouldn't be if I was missing for six days. Anyway, go ahead. Let's see what happened. When asked where she had been, she would tell people that she was visiting her relatives in the country. Rumors started to swirl with people speculating that Mary had actually been with a naval officer. Once the rumors reached Mary, she resigned from the cigar shop and went back to work for her mother. Oh. But... She got slut-shamed into quitting her job? Yeah. Um, Or maybe, you know, everything was just so bad anyway. The other thing, too, is that... Some people, because of the moon hoax that the son had been a part of, you know, a couple years before, which was basically just a hoax where they told people that 
life was discovered, civilization in life was discovered on the moon. <laughs> and um, it's actually kind of funny. Got him. So because of the moon hoax, a lot of people thought that this was also a hoax. They thought sure. that the sun was in on it. Um, her boss was in on it and maybe her mom was in on it. And they thought that they were doing it in order to get more business at the cigar shop. So the son was the original troll? Yeah. A month passed before Mary became engaged to a man who was staying at the boarding house. Okay. So she, she leaves her job. She's working back with her mom. Yep. And now she's engaged to a guy. Yeah, she became engaged to a man who was staying at the boarding house that she right. that her mom owns that she works at. Okay, it's been like you said how how many months? Just one so, month. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, it was quickly. All right. Her fiance's name was Daniel Payne. Well, we don't know like if he knew her before yeah, or whatever. Yeah, right, sure. And sometimes people just know, you know. When you know, you know. Yeah. Life resumed as normal and things seemed okay until the day of Mary's disappearance. On the morning of July 25th, 1841, Mary told Daniel that she would be going out with her aunt for the day. She told him they planned to spend the day around Bleecker Street. The couple planned to meet back up later in the evening. There was nothing at all that seemed out of the ordinary. The day went on as usual, but as nightfall approached, Mary's mother and fiance had still not seen her. Neither of them worried too much since there was a terrible storm rushing through the city and they figured that Mary was staying the night with her aunt so that she wouldn't have to walk home in the middle of it. Yeah, it's not like she had a phone, right? Like she couldn't just call home and be like, hey, yo, I'm cool. Yeah. They began to worry the next day when Mary still had not made it home. Her mom decided to place an ad in the sun. Again, the sun. She Uh asked for anyone who comes into contact with Mary to tell her to contact her mom. It doesn't seem like her mom thought she was the victim of a crime, but rather thought she was involved in some sort of accident. Okay. That Wednesday, July 28th, 1841, a group of men were hanging out near Sybil's Cave in Hoboken, New Jersey, when they spotted something odd bobbing up and down in the water. Oh, no. They got closer and realized it was a body. So they got into a boat and began rowing over to it. They successfully brought her body back to shore as a group of rubberneckers began to form. Mary was relatively quickly identified by a previous fiance. So she'd been, okay. Mary's body was in rough shape. Her face was swollen and it was clear that she had been the victim of a brutal beating. It's awful. Yeah. Her clothes were ripped up and she had lace from her dress wrapped tightly around her neck in order to suffocate her. Jeez. Yeah. This was like absolutely brutal. It was clear that her hands had been tied up for a while before her death as she had large marks around both of her wrists. The murderer also attempted to sink Mary's body by tying a heavy stone to her. It also seemed that she had been raped before her murder. Yeah. The first coroner noted that she was not pregnant and he strangely said that Mary had evidently been a person of chastity and correct habits, which is really gross. I don't, it makes, it makes me feel weird. That statement, what he's really saying you know, it's like she was, it sounds like she was a virgin. That is basically what he's saying. Yeah. And then she's she was, raped and murdered. Yeah. And that was, oh God. Yeah. The media frenzy surrounding Mary's case was intense. She was put on the front page of many newspapers and they didn't hold back any details. So they put everything in there. Jeez. They vividly described the injuries to Mary's body and they speculated about who may have been responsible for her murder. 
They did a lot of damage by naming people they considered suspects, which we see that still happening today. Sure. Like back to the Kohlberger case when they first started like talking about it as soon as it happened. Right. They put out like that video and people were oh, speculating yeah. that it was like her boyfriend or the guy that was with them at the um, food truck. Right. The guy was just kind of lurking. Yeah. He was just waiting for them because he was trying to get them home safely. But people just took that and ran with it and they put their names out there and everything. And like that put these guys in a lot of danger. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that's passed for them. I hope so too. So yeah. So they did a lot of damage by naming people they considered suspects, even when the facts ruled them out completely. That was the case with Mary's fiance, Daniel. Police had their sights set on him from the very beginning of the investigation. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the first thing. Yeah. Always. They quickly arrested him and interrogated him, but he had a solid alibi, so they let him go very soon after. Okay, good. Tips started to trickle in. The first was an anonymous letter that claimed that they had seen Mary the Sunday that she disappeared while out on a day trip to Elysian Fields, an old summer resort. He recalled seeing her on a boat with six other quote-unquote rough-looking men. He was taken aback by the juxtaposition of such a nice, innocent-looking girl hanging out with a group of raggedy men. They exited the boat and all seven of them walked into the woods together. The writer noted that Mary did not seem to be going with the men under duress. He said she looked happy, cheerful, and relaxed. Soon after, they faded into the forest. Another boat pulled up with a group of three men. There had apparently been two men waiting for the second boat to pull up and they helped them pull it to shore. The men in the boat asked the two men who were waiting for them if they had seen a woman walking with six men, to which the men on the shore responded yes and pointed in the direction they had last seen them traveling. The boatmen, which that's just what I'm calling them to make it easier. The boatmen. boatmen. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the shoreman. The boatman. <laughs> the boatman and the shoreman. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. The boatman had one more question for the shoreman. They uh-huh. asked if the group had been had been violent towards Mary. The uh-huh. shoreman reassured them that they had not and that Mary went with them willingly. After hearing this, the three men got back into their boat and they left again. The investigation never uncovered the identity of the letter writer, so the guy who wrote in this tip. Um, and the only reason that the letter writer gave for their anonymity is that they had motives of perhaps criminal prudence. Criminal prudence. Yes. <laughs> so it's defined as a reasonable standard of judgment, management, and conduct under the circumstances based on what was known or should have been known 
at the time a decision was made or the action was completed. Prudence involves a duty of care to others. The duty of care is increased in circumstances when there is a considerable danger of harm to public safety or economic risk to rate payers. For example, example, determining whether a defendant's conduct was reasonable, the defendant's conduct is compared to the conduct of a reasonable person in similar circumstances. So, yeah, like if maybe he saw something go down and he didn't want to say that he saw it because he would be implicating himself. Yeah, that makes sense. And or he or she, I should say, is trying to... I don't know, uh, absolve themselves, like get like be able to sleep at night. Yeah. And get help, get justice for her, you know, tell the police what they know, but without implicating themselves. There were witnesses who were able to verify the details of the letter. So there were witnesses that said like, I saw something similar, whatever. Um, two of them were men who had been out for a stroll near the river. The other was a stage driver who said that he had seen Mary on Sunday at the Bulls Ferry in Hoboken with a tall man who was dressed nicely. So if you remember, the naval officer that she was supposedly with, you know, the first right. time that she went missing was also described as a tall man, tall, handsome man. So, yeah, OK, maybe she's with the that naval guy. officer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but nobody knew his name. The stage driver said that he watched as they went to a roadhouse near the Elysian Fields, which the Elysian Fields is where the letter writer was at. Okay. The roadhouse was owned by a woman named Frederica Loss. She corroborated the story of the stage driver, saying she remembered a young girl coming in to get lemonade with a tall man. She recalled that after they left, she heard a scream come from the woods, but she thought it was one of her sons. When she went to check, she found that both of her sons were in the house, so obviously wasn't one of them. So she concluded that the scream came from an animal and she didn't think much of it until she heard the news of Mary's murder. Two months later, more evidence was found that aligned with this theory. Frederica's sons were collecting sassafras in the woods when they found clothes, okay. which they thought were Mary's, and it did right. match what she was wearing. So oh, no. So, they were hers. Okay. Yeah. The Herald described the scene of like where the clothes were, saying... The clothes had all evidently been there at least three or four weeks. They were all mildewed down hard. The grass had grown around and over some of them. The scarf and the petticoat were crumpled up as if in a struggle. And then there was also a handkerchief with the letters MR, which is her initials. Sure. um, That was found there too. So it's pretty much, we're sure that it's her stuff. Yeah. Okay. The plants in the area seemed to have been trampled and ripped up, and it looked as though a body had been dragged through bushes and plants, like out of the woods towards the river. Yeah. Investigators tried to find the tall, handsome man that Mary was spotted with, but they remained unsuccessful. Hmm. In October, a few months after Mary had been murdered, her fiancé Daniel traveled to Hoboken. This is really sad, and I'm going to give a trigger warning for suicide. And okay. No. So I'm going to continue on. He went on a drinking binge before going into a pharmacy to buy to buy laudanum. Yeah. He went to the spot near the river where Mary's body was dragged onto the shore, and he died from taking the laudanum. Um, it's <sighs> brutal. Yeah. He left behind a short note that said, "To the world, here I am on the very spot. May God forgive me for my misspent life." This note would spark some speculation that maybe he did have something to do with her murder because of the, may God forgive me for my misspent life. 
but ultimately most people agreed that the evidence suggested otherwise and he just wasn't involved. The guy's just distraught and he's got regrets from some things and, you know. Yeah, yeah. So most Ugh. people agreed that he was just so heartbroken and grief grief stricken that he just couldn't go on. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe they got into an argument and she left and she went to go do stuff and then he never saw her again. Yeah. And yeah. he just carries regret. Oh, poor yeah. guy. Yeah. I mean, it's a million different things. I don't know, but boy. Either way, it is just so, so sad and absolutely brutal. So in 1842, Edgar Allan Poe, which remember this happened in 1841. Right. So in 1842, Edgar Allan Poe used the real facts of the case to write the mystery of Marie Rogat. So that's when it was published though, right? It was 42, 1842? Yeah. Yeah. So he he may have been writing it during the whole thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. He hoped that he could solve the crime through the eyes of his protagonist, Detective Dupont. Poe liked to call this type of writing ratiocination. I believe that's how you... Ratiocination. Yes, I think that's how you pronounce it. Cool. Never heard that. (laughs) So ratiocination was the use of deductive reasoning, analytical thinking, and logic. Sure. To come to a conclusion or to solve a crime. You know, yeah. for example, um, well, I think that's what what we do to try to solve crimes. That makes sense. Yeah, except in his book, this is the thing. He kind of teeters on the line of like using deductive reasoning, analytical thinking and like scientific um, scientific analysis, scientific like method method kind of. Science, I guess. Let's just say science. He's science. Um, yeah. yeah. So he teeters on the line of using all of that and also using like some like imagination and speculation and kind of going with your gut and, you know, which those two things are very antithetical to one another. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he kind of combines all of it to make this detective Dupont like that is how detective Dupont works very similar to Sherlock Holmes like Sherlock Holmes you know the police force is working and they're trying to use like science and you know analytical thinking and all of that and then here comes detective Dupont (laughs) or Sherlock Holmes and they somehow have this like incredible ability yeah Yeah, like supernatural ability to deduce figure things out Mm. and to like, it's almost like psychic abilities. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So he kind of teeters on that line, which is interesting. Um, Which uh, makes sense how Sherlock Holmes came out of this type of inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So I got this from a paper that I will link on in the description, but cool. I just thought it was a good definition for ratiocination better than I can give. So it says by the definitions above, ratiocination is equivalent to analytical reasoning and synonymous with inference or deduction. If so, the ratiocinative pattern is basically a deductive procedure or an inferential model. Most of all, by the definitions of deduction or inference given above, to ratiocinate is to draw out conclusions on the basis of given information or premises. It is an act of analysis and a process of reaching a conclusion. 
The conclusions drawn out are implicit, while the premises or given statements are explicit. Okay. And then Poe was very, like, open about the fact that this murder is what this fiction book is about. And in the opening of it, he wrote... um, The extraordinary details, which I am now called upon to make public, will be found to form, as regards sequence of time, the primary branch of a series of scarcely intelligible coincidences, whose secondary or concluding branch will be recognized by all readers in the late murder of Mary Cecilia Rogers at New York. Hmm. And at the time, it was common to publish parts of the novel in each issue of whatever paper the author sold it to, instead of publishing it all as like a book. Right, right. Charles Dickens did that too. And Stephen King did one later with the Green Mile in to like as a nod towards that style. Yeah. So Poe sold his story to the Snowden's Ladies Companion. So the first two installments were published without any problems. But the third installment was postponed after news broke that Frederica Loss. Do you remember who she is? No. She's the owner of the Roadhouse. <gasps> She's the mom of the boys that found yeah, the clothes. Got okay. it. Yeah. Go. Go. That Frederica Loss had given a deathbed confession related to the case. No. Frederica had been accidentally shot by one of her sons, and as she lay on her deathbed, she admitted that the man that she saw um, Mary with was not actually a stranger, but someone that she knew. (gasps) She said that he was a young doctor who was taking Mary into the woods to give her an abortion. Something went wrong, and Mary died from the procedure, so the doctor dragged her to the river and threw her in. But the doctor said, the other the other guy said that she was a virgin. The coroner or the whatever. Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe he said that to say face. Or he was just saying like, I, I don't fucking know why he said that in the first place. It's really weird. And this is like way back. You can't tell if someone's a virgin or not. Like you can't, there's no way to tell that. Right. So he's just making shit up and saying that, you know? Yeah. Like he's just going off her... Like reputation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's just saying something to um, keep her her, um, reputation intact. She's gone and he's saying something old school that people would care about then maybe. Yeah. But I mean, really, he could have said nothing and it still would have kept her reputation intact. But uh, yeah. So uh, then Frederica's son helped dispose of Mary's clothes. So her son like gets involved and helps this doctor dispose of Mary's clothes. He apparently threw them in a neighbor's pond, but decided to move them to the woods. Some people were satisfied with this conclusion. They figured the last time she disappeared was just long enough for her to have gotten an abortion and recover before going back to work. And they thought that she might have needed a second one. Others pointed out the inconsistencies with the evidence of the case. If Mary died from a botched abortion, then why did her body look as though she had been the victim of a severe beating? Right. Poe edited the end of his book to mirror the real case. So he had, you know, finished it, uh, but then he right. had to go back and edit it so that it ended similarly. And he suggested that Marie, the person, the, you know, lady in the book that's murdered, yeah, yeah. may have died from either a botched abortion uh, but he also left open the possibility that she was murdered by the tall, handsome man, the naval officer, and the, you know, the real story, right. or a gang of men. Um, because that's the other thing, too, is a lot of people thought that it was possible that Mary Rogers was murdered by just a gang of criminals. Because 
cities were getting bigger, a lot more people were coming in, crime seemed to be on the rise. There wasn't like they ha- they hadn't established any way of like really dealing with it. So it was a big fear that a lot of people had. Um so that was, you know, one of the things that they thought may have happened, but ultimately we still today nobody knows. Because the the botched abortion like so much of the evidence just doesn't fit that, you know? That's true, but you know, a dying confession that's admissible in court. Either way, it's just incredibly sad. Um Yeah. You know, obviously it, absolutely no one deserves to have that happen to them. And oh, that's so her upsetting. fiance and her mom, like it just obviously really you know, ultimately killed two people because her fiance just could not go on. Um, but yeah, so that is how Edgar Allan Poe was inspired to. Well, maybe write. that's what happened. Maybe he got her pregnant. That is, yeah, that's what people think is that, like, if she got an abortion, her husband impregnated her and they didn't either, she didn't want the child or he didn't want the child and they argued about it. And then she went to go get an abortion and wow. died. Oh, that's, oh. yeah. That's heavy. Yeah, it is really heavy and really, really sad. There's really, there's really nothing that there's you no can but. Say to that. Like yeah. I was going to say, but now we have, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was, you know, but that's, that's not a silver lining here. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. There really is no silver lining, but. I just hope that, like, going forward, when people talk about her, they talk about more than just how beautiful she was. Like, talk about how she was a hard worker, how she was smart, you know. She was like, a go-getter. The things that really made her her. She was hustling. Yeah, I just think it's so unfair to reduce her down to nothing more than how beautiful she right. was. Like, I I just don't, I don't like that. But, yeah, that is I don't the, either. I don't like that at all. Yeah. That's the case of Mary Rogers and um, how her murder inspired Edgar Allan Poe's sequel to The Murders in the Rue Morgue called The Mystery of Marie Broguette. And yeah. Just want to say thanks for being here, guys. This is awesome. Thank you all so much for listening and for everything, for rating the podcast, all of it. I just really, really appreciate it. And Rob really appreciates it. Um, And it's just really, you know, fun to be able to do this. And it warms my heart that other people enjoy listening. Um, And yeah, it just, I am so grateful that you, you know, are willing to take the time to rate and review and automatic downloads and for finishing this episode. Like, thanks for being here to catch the end. Yes. So thank you guys so much. I love you all. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.